welcome back to another episode of Rage Race Echoes. As always, I'm your host, my name is Bert, and do I ever have an amazing location for you today? Today's journey is going to take us to a seemingly ordinary house in West Piston, Pennsylvania. That's where the extraordinary and the unexplained is going to collide. It's a place where the veil between our world and the unknown appears to be remarkably thin, a place that challenges our understanding of reality. Now let's sit back and think about this for just a minute. When we talk about the quiet everyday corners of suburban America, we rarely expect to encounter supernatural. But as we've seen time and time again on this podcast, sometimes the most profound mysteries, well, they're hidden in the most familiar of places. The story that we're about to unravel is not just about ghostly apparitions or unexplained noises. It's a tale that touches the very core of what it means to feel safe in our own home. Now, as many of my loyal listeners will know, the way that I choose my locations is with a randomizer. And what that randomizer will do is it'll give me a state number. It'll also give me a number one through 10. I have a spreadsheet with the 10 top locations that's haunted for each state. And I let a randomizer choose it. That's how we're able to get so many different locations, except for the last two weeks. Now, the last two weeks, we've kind of covered different episodes. We did two weeks ago the Amityville Horror House. And then last week here on Retraced Echoes, we took a deep dive into the infamous Lizzie Borden House. That was in Falls River, Massachusetts, not very far from where our story is today. Now we explored the chilling tale of the Borden family. Now that's where the gruesome double murder happened in the summer of 1892. And as everybody knows, that left a huge mark on American history. Now, we recounted the fateful morning where Andrew and Abby Borden, they were both found brutally murdered and their bodies bearing the gruesome evidence of multiple axe blows. Everyone knows the song. If not, check out last week's episode. You're going to want to hear the song I put in there. It's kind of eerie. But the prime suspect was her own daughter, Lizzie Borden, whose name would forever be etched in the history book of American crime and folklore. Now, last week, we discovered the story didn't end with the trial or Lizzie's acquittal. We delved into the eerie aftermath where the echoes of the dreadful days seemed to linger within the walls of the Borden house. Tales of cold spots, ghostly apparitions, and the unexplained sounds that turned the home into a beacon for paranormal enthusiasts and skeptics alike. Now we also examined the eyewitness accounts and the paranormal investigations, each adding layers to the haunting legacy of the Borden house. Now whether these events were restless spirits of the Bordens seeking justice or merely echoes of the past tragedies, the mysteries continue to captivate and unsettle us. So I want to take just one second to thank everyone for tuning in last week and sharing their thoughts. Now let's get this episode started. We're going to be delving into the Smurl haunting, and that's a case that has both captivated and terrified both skeptics and believers alike. Now this story kind of has a little bit of everything. It has a narrative that spanned over a decade. It's marked by chilling encounters. It has a family struggle and a debate that's still echoed in paranormal communities alike. I mean, what else can you ask for when it comes to a story? So, get comfortable, turn down the lights, and let's embark on a journey into the heart of one of the most unsettling and intriguing hauntings in American history. Now, this is not just a ghost story. It's a testament to the enduring power of the unknown to both frighten and fascinate us. Welcome to the tale, the ordinary turned extraordinary and the familiar turned frightening. Welcome to the story of the Smurl Haunting. Now here's the thing. The haunting began lightly in 1974. Now that was soon after the Smurl family moved into this duplex home. Now initially they kind of dismissed it as quirks of an old house and the odd occurrences gradually escalated from there. So like any ghost story we talk about, especially if it's skeptics of moving, it's kind of like, oh, the house is setting. 
those noises that we're hearing is not a big deal, but it ended up kind of upgrading to unexplained cold spots, to appliances that were just malfunctioning. And again, it's easy to go, well, that's just part of the house, right? It's not something to necessarily worry about, but it turned into something far more sinister as time went by. Now, if we fast forward to the late 1970s, the Smurls were experiencing phenomena that defied all rational explanations, so they couldn't blame it on the house anymore. We're talking about noises that had no discernible sources, foul odors that was appearing out of nowhere, and disturbing physical manifestations that was becoming just a part of their everyday life. These are things that they can't be like, well, just part of the house. <laughs> now, the family reported seeing apparitions, including a dark, shapeless figure that would emerge at the most of unexpected moments, spreading fear and unease in the household. Why in the world this family decided to stay blows my mind. The intensity of the experiences peaked in the 1980s. Now, the family described terrifying encounters ranging from objects moving on their own to physical assault by unseen forces. Now, they also reported some demonic possession and trying to think of the to prevent myself from getting in trouble where I'm releasing this, let's say boom, chicka, bow, bow, attacks. Okay. Which is not good. That's the only way I can put it without getting in trouble with all the places where I drop my podcast. But the events were so bad that they reached out for help from renowned demonologists, Ed and Lorraine Warren. So we're going to be covering some of that also. Now the Warren's involvement brought national attention to the hauntings. Big shocker there. Now, Ed and Lorraine, they conducted several investigations and eventually they concluded that the house was occupied by a powerful and malevolent entity. And I'm sure it goes without saying that was met with skepticism from some and it added a layer of controversy to an already mystifying case. Now, over the years, the Smurl haunting has been both the subject of numerous debates from numerous investigations and media portrayals. Yet, despite the attention, the heart of the mystery still remains what really happened in that unassuming duplex in West Pinston. Was it a case of malevolent hauntings, as Ed and Lorraine said, a series of unexplained occurrences, or something else entirely? As we delve deeper into the story of the Smurl family, we'll explore these questions, examining the accounts, the investigations, and the lingering impact of one of the most intense and enduring hauntings in recent American history. To understand the haunting, you have to understand the background. And the background of this one, we've kind of covered a little bit of it. It started in 1974 with Jack, Janet, and their children. They all move into this duplex on Chase Street, and that's in West Pittston, PA. And the house was initially built in 1896, and it just appeared to be the stereotypical family home. It wasn't very long before they started having their occurrences. And this ranged from everything from tools going missing to, like I said previous, foul odors that had no source. And they were easily dismissed at first. It was kind of like, ah, it's just an old building, quirks of the old building. And as the years progressed, the intensity and the frequencies of these occurrences, they escalated dramatically. Like I said previously, by the 1980s, the Smurls were reporting disturbing phenomena that would be the core of their haunting stories objects levitating or being even hurled across the room, disembodied voices, whispers became very common, and chilling apparitions were sighted. Now I want to talk about some of the most notable incidences. There was a sighting of a dark shadowy figure that moved through the house described as 
almost emanating a malevolent feel to it. There was physical attacks on the family members, including Janet, who reported being pushed down a flight of stairs by an unseen force. There were claims of demonic possession, impressive atmospheres in certain rooms of the house. There was also reports of bed shaking, electronic disturbances, and unexplained temperature drops, which, think about it, that's going to create an environment of constant fear and anxiety in the household, which kind of fits and gives a little bit of credence to those demonic possession, impressive atmospheres that they were talking about. Now, after a while, the family became very desperate for some type of a resolution. They lived there for a long time. So the Smurls sought help from various sources, and that was everything from the local clergy to paranormal experts. Obviously, with Ed and Lorraine Warren, they brought that case to the national spotlight. And as always, when you gain some type of media attention, it also attracts skepticism. Now, critics, they question the validity of the family's experiences. They suggest everything from psychological to environmental, and as always, they also went down the rabbit hole of fraudulent uh, explanations. They they thought that the family was just faking it for, at that point, the media attention. Now, throughout all of this, the Smurl family maintained that their experiences were genuine, painting a picture of the household besieged by forces beyond their understanding. So as we continue to explore the layers of the hauntings, we're reminded that the line between the known and the unknown is often blurred. And that within the walls of most ordinary homes, extraordinary stories can unfold. Let's now look at the very first encounters. Now, we've talked about this in other podcasts. We've also talked about it on my other podcasts, uh, Deceptive Reality, when I talk to Nick about anytime there's a, a haunting or entities or something like that in any of those stories. It always starts relatively small, and it almost always starts with some form of knocking or scratching noises. In this case... There was the faint scratching noises within the wall, almost like a mouse or a rat. Yet there was never any evidence of pests that were ever found. Shortly after this came the odors, and they were obviously mysterious. They were disturbing. Imagine being in your own house and smelling this wicked, almost like rotting flesh, sulfur, and no apparent sources, right? It's not like food that you left out. Uh, almost like rotten eggs, like that sulfur smell. That's what the family was experiencing. So uh, again, you think maybe there's rodents in the wall. You're getting the smell. You're like, maybe they died in there. But in this case, the scratching never stops. So it's very crazy. And, and as the months rolled on, the whispers grew louder. They evolved honestly into a nuisance. They were undeniable signs of paranormal at that point. And now, out of nowhere, the appliances in the home started behaving unexpectedly, right? Radios and TVs would just turn on, they would turn off all on their own. At times, they would be blaring loud, despite even being unplugged. Think about that. You've got an unplugged TV, and now, out of nowhere, it's still turning on. <laughs> the Smurls would have to be literally petrified at this point in time. Now, the Knights they became almost unbearable. There were sounds of muffled conversation or distant music playing. A lot of times they would think that there was music playing from some part of the house that was not near them. So they would go and investigate and the family would find nothing but silence and stillness in the house. It's almost like this entity was trying to get them alone, which is a creepy thought in and of itself. Think about it. You're in bed. All of a sudden you hear what sounds like a radio playing. You go to investigate. Now one spouse is in bed. The other spouse is by themselves looking around or both parents go. Now the kids are alone in their bed. There's just so many things that could have happened. Now 
we've got shadows that's taking shape, right? The haunting took a more ominous turn with the visual encounters of the supernatural. Jack and Janet both reported seeing shadowy figures moving through their home, which was just fleeting glimpses. And they were often accompanied by unexpected chill or like cold spots in the house. Now, Janet on one occurrence saw the apparition of an elderly woman. And she obviously had time period, old fashioned clothing. She appeared to be as real as you and I only to vanish as quickly as she materialized. Now it just didn't stop there. Objects in the house started moving on their own. Chairs would slide across the floor. Doors would slam shut when no one else was around. And even more disturbingly, the family felt what they described as being pushed or brushed against by unseen hands. That for me would probably be the worst, the worst of the experiences. But I kind of want to dig into everyone's favorite part, which is the ghost stories. We're going to dive into that next. I need everyone to grab their flashlights and gather around because you're about to venture into the shadowy corners of the Smurl family hauntings. Picture this, a dimly lit room, the faint sound of a distant clock ticking, and the eerie feeling that you're not alone. These aren't your run-of-the-mill ghost tales. These are real, spine-tingling encounters that kept the Smurls up at night. So brace yourself for a journey into the heart of the most chilling encounters, stories that turn skeptics into believers and make even the bravest of souls check under their bed. Ready or not, here we go into the world of the unexplained and the unnerving. Let's stop talking about it. Let's be about it. Let's go. One fateful evening, Jack felt a compelling urge to investigate a haunting noise emanating from his basement. The sound was unlike anything that he had heard before, a low, distinct murmuring that seemed to resonate the very foundation of the house. With a mixture of curiosity and trepidation, Jack made his way to the basement door. As he descended the creaky wooden stairs, each step felt heavier, as if he was walking into the unknown abyss. The air grew noticeably colder, a chill that seeped into his bones, starkly contrast from the warmth of the rest of the house. He flicked the light switch, but the bulb flickered weakly, barely piercing the oppressive gloom of the basement. The noise that had drawn him here, they had ceased, replaced by a silence so profound it felt almost tangible. As his eyes adjusted to the dim light, Jack noticed something even more unsettling. The room felt smaller, as though the walls were inching closer, suffocating the space around him. And then, out of the corner of his eye, he saw it. A dark figure, cloaked in the shadows, stood motionless in the far corner of the basement. It was humanoid in shape, but grotesquely distorted, as if pieced together by the very darkness of the room. Its eyes were hollow voids, yet they seemed to bore into Jack with an intensity that was almost physical. Frozen in place, Jack felt a cold dread wash over him. The figure began to move, gliding towards him silently, its presence exuding a malevolence that was unmistakable. The air around it seemed to ripple, as if the very fabric of reality was warping in its wake. Just as the figure reached him, it stopped. For a moment, which felt like an eternity, it simply just stared, and Jack felt as though it peered into his very soul. The chill in the room intensified, and Jack felt a pressure in the air, a sense of foreboding that threatened to overwhelm him. Then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, 
the figure dissolved into the shadows, leaving Jack alone in the now silent basement. He just stood there, heart racing, struggling to comprehend what he had just witnessed. The encounter left him shaken, questioning the very nature of reality and his own sanity. Jack's experience in the basement marked a significant and terrifying escalation into the haunting of the Smurl family home. It was an encounter that had haunted him for years to come, a chilling reminder of the unknown forces that seemed to lurk just beneath the surface of their everyday lives. As we reel from this chilling account of Jack's encounter in the basement, another harrowing episode unfolds, this time involving Janice Merle in the very heart of the home, the kitchen. Now Janice's experience occurred on an ordinary afternoon where the familiar routine of daily life played out undisturbed. She was in the kitchen, emerged in the mundane tasks of preparing dinner for the family. The clatter of pots and the aroma of cooking filled the air, creating a sense of normality that, well, in recent times, had become all too rare for the Smurls. But in an instant, this semblance of normality was shattered. Janet felt a sudden drop in temperature, a coldness that seemed out of place amidst the warmth of the stove. It was then she felt and sensed a presence behind her, something unseen yet intense. Before she could turn around, she felt it. An icy hand, firm and unmistakable, gripping her shoulder. The touch was as real as any human hand, but it carried with it a sense of dread that was far from anything living. Startled, Janet spun around, her heart pounding in her chest. What she saw next would be forever etched into her memory. Standing before her was a figure, grotesque and distorted, like a nightmarish distortion of the human form. Its skin had a ghastly paleness to it and those eyes oh those eyes they were filled with a deep malevolent hatred that seemed to transcend time and space the apparition's gaze was fixed on janet its eyes burning with an intensity that seemed to pierce her very soul paralyzed with fear she could only stare back at the horrific visage that confronted her in her own kitchen then breaking the terrifying silence the figure let out a growl, a sound so deep and guttural it seemed to emanate from the depths of the earth. The sound reverberated through the room, filling the space with a sense of menace that was almost tangible. As quickly as it had appeared, the apparition vanished, dissipating into the air, leaving Janet alone in the now eerily quiet kitchen. She just stood there, motionless, her mind struggling to process the nightmarish encounter. The hand on her shoulder the ghastly figure, the piercing eyes, all were so vivid, so real. This incident in the kitchen marked a new level of terror for the Smurl family. It was no longer just fleeting shadows or mysterious noises. Now, the entities in the home were interacting with them in a deeply personal and terrifying way. Janice's experience was a stark reminder that whatever haunted the house had the power to manifest in the most unexpected and frightening ways. The unsettling encounter in the kitchen where Janet came face to face with a nightmarish apparition was not an isolated incident within the walls of the Smurl home. The haunting, it seemed, was not content with targeting just the adults. In one very chilling episode, the Smurl daughters found themselves in the center of a paranormal disturbance that would forever change their perceptions of their own home. On a seemingly ordinary day, 
the Smyrl daughters were in their room engaged in an innocent pastime at playing with their toys. The room, filled with light-hearted clutter of childhood, was a sanctuary for them, a place where the worries of the world and the strange happenings in their home could momentarily be forgotten. As they played, a surreal and terrifying scene began to unfold. Without warning, the toys seemed to take on a life their own. Dolls which moments before had been inanimate began to move independently. Their movements were jerky and unnatural, as if unseen hands were manipulating them. The toy train, long dormant, started to circle its track, whistling and chugging as though powered by an invisible engineer. The girls watched, frozen in disbelief and growing horror as the familiar objects of their childhood transformed into the stuff of nightmares. Then, as if this display wasn't terrifying enough, the temperature in the room dropped sharply, a coldness that seemed to seep into their very bones. It was then that they saw it, a shadow, dense and ominous, looming over them. This was no ordinary shadow, it was a presence, an oppressive aura that filled the room with an unspoken threat. The light seemed to dim around it, and the air grew heavy, as if the room itself was reacting to the presence of the malevolent force. Overcome with fear, the girls did the only thing they could. They ran. They fled the room screaming, convinced beyond doubt that they had just encountered something truly evil. The sanctuary of their playroom, once a haven of joy and laughter, had been violated by an unknown and sinister force. This incident marked a significant escalation in the haunting. It was a stark reminder that whatever resided in the Smurl house was not just an observer, but an active and malevolent participant in the terror that was unfolding. Now the terror that gripped the Smurl daughters in their once safe playroom was a harrowing reminder of the unseen forces at play within the home. But the haunting was far from over. It was growing bolder, reaching out to touch every corner of the house and every member of the family. This ominous progression became startlingly clear during a family gathering in the living room, an incident that would leave an indelible mark on the entire Smurl family. It was an evening like many others, but the family together in the living room seeking comfort in each other's company amidst the growing unease in the house. The living room, traditionally a space of solace and family bonding, was momentarily filled with a light chatter and warmth of family life. But this was abruptly shattered. Without any forewarning, the atmosphere in the room shifted dramatically. The family members engrossed in conversation was jolted into stunned silence as they witnessed an astonishing and terrifying spectacle. The sofa, with several family members seated on it, began to levitate. The shock was immediate. Eyes widened in disbelief as the sofa rose, seemingly defying the laws of gravity. Then, as if under the control of an unseen force, it began to shake violently, moving back and forth with such intensity that those seated struggled to maintain their grip. The room was plunged into chaos. Screams and shouts filled the air as the family scrambled to make sense of the situation. Then, all of a sudden, a new horror emerged. A disembodied voice, low and menacing, whispering through the room. The words were indistinct, but their presence was enough to send waves of panic through the already terrified family. As suddenly as it had all began, the levitation stopped. The sofa crashed back to the floor, leaving the family members shaken and deeply disturbed. This incident, witnessed by several family members, was undeniable proof for them that their home was indeed haunted. The fear in the living room that night 
was a turning point. What was once a series of unsettling but isolated incidences had now become full-fledged haunting, leaving the Smurls with no doubt that they were living in the presence of an unexplained and malevolent force. The incident in the living room with this shocking physical manifestation and eerie disembodied voice had already pushed the Smurl family's nerves to the brink. But the haunting relentless in its terror was not yet done. It was about to reveal itself in the most direct and frightening manner to Jack and Janet in the privacy of their own bedroom, a space that would have been thought to be their sanctuary. The night was quiet, the kind of stillness that often precedes a storm. Jack and Janet had finally found relief in sleep a temporary escape from the unending strain of living in a haunted house. But this peace was not to last. In the dead of night, they were abruptly awakened by the sound so loud and jarring it could only be described as a deafening roar. It was as if the very foundation of the house was shaking. The room, shrouded in darkness, felt suddenly oppressive, charged with a malevolent energy that was almost suffocating. As their eyes adjusted to the darkness, Jack and Janet saw it a figure standing ominously at the foot of their bed. It was the shape of a man, but again grotesquely distorted. Its presence filled the entire room with an aura of pure evil. The most terrifying aspect of the apparition were its eyes. They glowed a fiery red, burning with an intensity that seemed otherworldly. Those eyes held within paralyzing gaze, conveying a message of malevolence and hatred that transcended languages. For what seemed like an eternity, Jack and Janet laid frozen, caught in the glare of this demonic entity. Then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, the figure vanished into the darkness, leaving behind a chilling void. This encounter marked a significant turning point in the Smurl family hauntings also. The physicality and intensity of the apparition coupled with the disturbing personal nature of the encounter left Jack and Janet with a profound sense of dread. It was a clear message that the entity haunting their home was not just an observer, but a malevolent force capable of invading the most intimate aspects of their life. After the terrifying series of events experienced by each member of the Smurl family, it became clear that outside help was needed. This led to the involvement of the renowned paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, known for their work in investigating supernatural occurrences. The Warrens brought with them a new level of scrutiny and expertise to the troubling happenings of the Smurl home. Upon their arrival, the Warrens began to thoroughly investigate, delving into the history of the house and conducting numerous interviews with family. They were no strangers to the supernatural, but what they encountered in the Smurl home was unlike anything that they had faced before. One evening, as Ed conducted a vigil in the basement, the site of the most intense paranormal activity, he experienced a profound and unsettling event. The room grew icy cold, a signature sign of a supernatural presence. Ed, holding a crucifix, felt a sudden force, an invisible pressure that seemed to be pushing him back. The atmosphere was charged with hostility, an unseen entity challenging his presence. As he stood his ground, Ed heard what he can only describe later as a guttural growl emanating from the darkness. The sound was otherworldly, filled with such malice that it seemed to shake the very walls of the basement. Ed was convinced that he was in the presence of a demonic entity, one that was not just haunting the house, but actively resisting his efforts. 
Lorraine, known for her psychic abilities, conducted her own investigation, focusing on the energy and emotions within the house. In one of the bedrooms, she sensed an overwhelming feeling of despair and malevolence. She described a vision of a black, dark, shadowy figure that seemed to be in the center of the home's disturbances. This figure, according to Lorraine, was not just a mere ghost, but something far more sinister. A malevolent force that had latched onto the family and the house. The Warren's investigation culminated into a dramatic confrontation. With a family present, they attempted to cleanse the house, a ritual that involved prayers and commands for the entity to leave. During this ritual, the house seemed to come alive. Objects moved, strange noises echoed through the rooms, and an oppressive atmosphere enveloped everyone. Despite their best efforts, the Warrens concluded that the entity was deeply entrenched in the home, a force that was not easily banished. Their investigation, while not providing a definitive solution, brought national attention to the Smurl haunting and added a significant chapter in the story of the house's paranormal legacy. Man, oh man, what did you think of those ghost stories? Let me tell you, this one was kind of crazy. I knew a little bit of the information. There was a few things that obviously I couldn't get into because we were on a few different uh, platforms that would, <laughs> that would not appreciate the stories. So if you're interested, go look up some of those stories. Now, one of the things I do want to talk about is the skeptical side. Obviously, as we delve deeper into the unsettling and the mysterious events that happened in that haunting, it's crucial to acknowledge the skepticism that surrounds the case also. Now, skeptics have alternate explanation for the paranormal claims grounded in arguments in science and psychology and just typical what they would consider logical reasoning. Now, some of the things that they talk about, some of the skeptics suggest that the experiences of the Smurl family could have just been attributed to natural causes. For instance, like the noises and the cold drafts in the house. That could have been the result of structural issues or faulty plumbing. Electrical malfunctions could have explained the flickering lights, the appliances behaving erratically. Uh, they also talk about the psychological factors. Um, some like to point out that the power of suggestion and the heightened emotional state of the family could have amplified the normal household sounds, the things that they thought they saw, interpretations uh, that for them would have been paranormal. Now, in a state of fear, the human mind can perceive threats in very benign occurrences. I know that personally. And that leads to a cycle of anxiety and misinterpretation. Basically, long story short, they started playing off of each other and they went into almost a case of mass hysteria, which I can understand that. Sometimes when there's mass hysteria, it can cause physical symptoms and hallucinations. So, is that what could have caused it? Maybe. Now, another thing that the critics like to talk about is the media influence and potentially exaggerations. So critics will often highlight the role of media attention in shaping the narrative, especially in this case. They argue that the involvement with the Warrens, that they were known to sensationalize the cases. And let's not forget, they also believe that with the Warrens, there was going to be book deals, movie deals. And that could incentivize the exaggeration or even fabrication of some of the events for financial gain or even for publicity. Now, it's not just the typical skeptics that go into a lot of this, right? There's even within the paranormal community, those that are questioning the demonic interpretation of the events, right? 
they go from an angle of could this have just been poltergeist activity or even like psychic energy given the intense emotional atmosphere in the house. And there's also the skeptics that say there's paranormal investigators that went in there. Could it be that they again benefit from the standpoint of having some type of event, right? Then they can actually grow. I don't know. I always like to look at the skeptic side of it too, just to kind of see what everyone is saying. I don't want to go off of one side or the other. If y'all know me, you know I like looking at both sides. Well, before I close this bad boy out, I want to take a moment to put a spotlight on you, the listeners. It's because of your insights, your curiosity, and your interest that you are shaping this podcast into the journey that we're going on. Out of curiosity, do you have a haunted location that you know about? Something that you want me to talk about? Do not leave that in your own mind. Tell me. I want to know. Or perhaps you have your own personal experiences of the unexplained. If you're comfortable, I'd love to hear your story. It's your encounters of the supernatural that could be featured on an upcoming episode. Now, how cool would that be? Me telling your story on the podcast. I would love to have it. Absolutely would love to have it. Now, you might be saying, well, Bert, that's just great, but how do I reach out to you? You can reach out to me via email. That's info at retracedechoes.com. I'll also put it in the description down below. Also, you can find me on any of the social medias. I'm on Reddit as just-bert. Again, that's just-bert, B-E-R-T. Also, obviously, I have a Twitter. I have a Facebook group. You can hit me up on Instagram. You can find me just about anywhere. All you have to do is just look. And most of it's under Retraced Echoes. Now, I would also love to invite you to another YouTube channel that I'm working on called Retraced Stories. And what this is, is I take stories every single week that I've been graciously given. I change the names. I change the locations. Uh, If the story, like let's use for example, if they put a company name or something in there, I'm probably going to leave that out. And if I do leave it in, it'll probably be a, a change to where you wouldn't know where the job is. Anyway... I take those stories and I kind of bring them to life. For anyone that remembers the old Twilight Zone radio, which was very similar to the TV show, we are trying to do that. So it's a case where I take the stories, I read them in first-person perspective, add sound effects, add some music, voila. We got a masterpiece for your ears. Also, additionally, I'd like to take a moment to talk about another venture that I'm incredibly passionate about. It's a podcast that I co-host with my buddy Nick called Deceptive Reality. Now with that, every single week we take a different type of mystery. Think of Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack back in the day. We've covered everything from Bigfoot, Mothman, the Enfield Poltergeist. You name it, we've kind of looked into it. But again, I want to thank you so much for being so amazing. It's your support, your stories, and enthusiasm that kind of keeps this podcast moving. So stay curious, stay brave, and until next time, Keep retracing the echoes of the unexplained. Until I see y'all on the next podcast, goodbye.